This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Mostly What God Does, written and narrated by Today's Show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie. Mostly What God Does is available now everywhere you get your audiobooks. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome back, Grace Enough listeners and friends. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to say thank you to those of you who sent me a personal message on Instagram or Facebook this week after being featured in the podcast magazine. There was an under-the-radar feature that Eric wrote, and he said this of Grace Enough Podcast. Be ready to engage your mind as conversations are often theologically rich and tread into deep waters. No matter what part of Christian living you're interested in, the Grace Enough Podcast has something for you. Friends, your messages are what God continues to use to affirm me in this journey, and I truly am grateful. With that said, if you aren't following along with me, press pause and first click the plus sign to subscribe to the podcast, then click over to Instagram and or Facebook and follow Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. In today's episode, Jessica Hoddle joins me to talk about walking forward in faith after rejection. We discuss the slow process of healing and growth that can take place following rejection if we engage in healthy practices instead of bitterness. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Good afternoon, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to jump right in and just let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I am 32 at the time of this recording. I've started my ministry, my fitness business at the age of 22. So it's been roughly 10 years. I've been working this thing out with the Lord and what it looks like. I, we don't have any kids. My husband and I have been married for about four years at, together for six and we have three cats. We love animals so much. And every day I get to just kind of help women whether it's in their fitness or their health or healing, kind of just help them be emotionally and physically healthy while keeping God at the center. And uh, whatever that looks like through my books or my podcast or, you know, just everyday Instagram, Facebook, you know, interactions as well as in person when we can do more in-person things. That's right. I know. It's so crazy. It's just such a, it takes on a whole different approach at this phase of our lives that it's like, what's the future going to look like? We don't really know. It, and it's just this idea of like, okay, like every day I'm just going to show up because I have the grace for today. Yeah. So what can I do today? You know, that I, moves me forward in where he's called me. <laughs> That's what yes. I keep reminding myself. I love to start our episodes with just how you came to know Jesus. When did he become, um, you know, Lord and savior of your life? I always say I didn't have like an epiphany or my life did not drastically change. Uh, I didn't have any foundation at all of any kind of religion or background or 
understanding. So at 22, my cousin was the one we used to take super long bike rides together. That was kind of our thing. Um, 14 miles, 20 miles, whatever, you know, we would do. And we would just kind of hang out and talk a lot. And I just remember being on the, one of the picnic benches and she just asked me, she's like, Hey, do you like know Jesus? Have you accepted him? And I can't remember how it went down or what I said or anything. I just remember that moment is probably the first time anybody had ever asked me. Hmm. And that is really kind of, you know, I began walking it out, but I didn't have a disciple discipleship or somebody coming alongside me to really read scripture or understand it. She was a voice of reason in my life, of course, according to the word, but there was no um, epiphany or life change. It was, it took three years or so to even get on the horse of, okay, we're going to like actually do what the scripture says, or, oh, this is what this is, you know, kind of thing. So when she had that conversation with you, did you immediately just start, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm a, I want to know what it's about. Or how did you get to that place where you even thought, oh, this, cause if you had no background, that's always like, who is Jesus? What, what are people saying? What do I need to be saved from? You know, all of that. Yeah. I didn't even have a, but she gave me my first Bible. I still have it. I still use it. Uh, it's, she marked the date on it and I think it was in February. I can't remember the year. Maybe it was 2010. It had to be 2010 that I accepted it. Um, and so I got my first Bible that year. First time I ever owned a Bible and did not do anything with it. <laughs> like I, it was just idea, like she was going to church. So, um, you know, she's like, Hey, do you want to go with me? I'm going this Sunday. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And it, most of the time I was working full time too. So I was a retail manager and most of the time I worked on Sundays. So I would work, you know, nine to six 30. So yeah. church on Sundays really wasn't an, even an option for me. And I just didn't have that like yearning or desire to even go really mm. until five years, like consistently, probably five years in, I was very sporadic, kind of the checklist kind of Christian, like, mm-hmm. like I was posting about it at that time around five years to four to five years and, and getting involved in relationship with him wanting to understand, but there was no like deep understanding or even reading like, um, books together, you know, from beginning to end, it was more of just pick and, and scratch and, Oh, is this good? And, Oh, you know, like I didn't read the old Testament at all. Like I never opened the old Testament. Didn't understand it. Didn't. I mean, there's people, it. there's people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time that have not, that don't very often. And I think, Oh my gosh, you're missing like the biggest part of why we're in this whole mess, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So now, but of course now I'm like, Oh, Old Testament. And I've been reading, you know, Old Testament, New Testament together from beginning to end and stuff like that. So it's just been this progressive, slow, slow, slow journey for me. Yeah. Of your faith walk. Yeah. Well, and today we're actually going to talk a little bit about rejection and just kind of working out your faith when you do face rejection and how that actually is a very slow process. And we want to speed it along but the reality is we can't speed it along and do it well is maybe what I should say. But will you share a time when you have experienced rejection and how that really launched you, how that experience really launched you into, you know, working it out, working out your faith and, and a little bit about what that looked like for you? I think I can remember, depending on the area of our life that we're going to talk about, you know, I think rejection can look at it from a man figure. 
you know, um, this boy didn't like me. So what did that mean? Did it mean that it was about me or did it just mean that we weren't supposed to be together? Right. Like it just, we're two people that did not get along. You know, I could look at rejection as far as my parents and feeling rejected as far as love or uh, just anything in general when it comes to the, the nurturing side of things. So when I felt rejected there, what is, what did that look like for me to then kind of go the opposite way of, you rejected me. So I'm going to rush into, I'm going to take care of myself. Nobody's going to do it for me. I have to be the one that does it. Um, and then in business is this idea when I felt rejected, I wanted to just prove them wrong. So I, a lot of people, since I started entrepreneur at a very young age, when I was in retail management, management, I started at 16, got promoted to a key holder at 18 and climbed the ranks, um, really fast under my manager. So I was super young when I was full-time I mean, I was probably, I think at that time, probably 20 and, um, the women that were working with me were 50, 60, 45. And it was very intimidating at first. Cause when you're 20 and you're a key holder and you're a full-time manager trying to manage these women that are older, more mature, more wise, I always felt, you know, if I felt rejected, I had to stand up. I had to get a little bit louder. I had to be a little bit more aggressive and a little more assertive just to prove, Hey, I'm smart. I can do this and I'm capable, uh, which is really just it was pride. Yep. Uh, a lot of it was pride, but I, I think that it depends on what area that each kind of rejection in my past like that called me to this higher of like me situation of, I don't want them to think this of me and I am going to prove them wrong. And so I carry that into where I am today. But of course I've worked through a lot of that, but I mean, that was, has led me to where I am to be able to have a different foundation now to be able to walk through that process of healing too. I mean, what is that foundation now um, that looks different, that this is really not about me proving myself, but what is that something different, that foundation? Hmm. For me, it has been definitely the relationship with the father as far as what does his word say about being seen, being known? What is he actually calling me to? What does it look like as far as, uh, you know, his word is really about actions and character, or actions and attitude when you look through how he, how he responded to people or rejection or uh, when, when people would say things like, what does he talk about forgiveness and a hard heart and all of those things that has been able to help me process through rejection or just basic understanding of how emotions and past traumas and things impacts people and their mm-hmm. response to you. And it has led me to this place of when I get a no, or when I feel, I don't, I, even the word rejection, it just, it, cause it makes you feel like it's, you're the problem, but you could be a part of the problem, like right. your words or whatever, but it, it's almost as just like negative of like, you're not good enough. You're rejected, you know, type of thing. But if for, if we look at it more subjectively of kind of separating the rejection from the emotion, we can actually kind of evaluate what is really going on. Mm-hmm. Is it that, you know, this person lashed out on me because they had a bad day. So I got to know, or this came through and they said this to me that I wasn't good enough, but really maybe they're not feeling good enough. Or if it was rejection because I had done something, I can look back and go, oh, I responded this way because of this. And I was trying to prove myself or just, hey, this wasn't a good fit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's being able to evaluate that situation without making it become who I am. Yeah. And sometimes I think, um, I'm particularly thinking right now about emotionally healthy spirituality is 
um, a course and a book that's by Pete Scazzaro. And he just talks so much about how you really can't be spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy and then vice versa. And I think sometimes we can make that feel like, oh, that's, you know, such a nice thing to say or whatever, but it takes some hard work to do that because like you said, we so often tie, you know, maybe what our parents did to us to God Almighty. Um, We so often tie our past experiences to however we view Jesus and um, that's personal experience. And that's not, that has to be dealt with so that you don't view God's word and his ways through that same lens. Yeah. It's it's just so hard to do that. But in, in thinking about your emotions and, you know, how you kind of changed your view of rejection and how you've walked forward in that, what are some of the things you do now to help women really view it differently? I, well, I think that when you come with the healing, like you said, that the emotional healing, you're able to walk through it with a different lens. And some of the things I was thinking of, three things of kind of practical ways is the narrative around rejection, which has really helped me. You know, an example of just recently when I was submitting proposals to agents and this one was kind of nasty in a sense, back and forth and not accused me, but just said I didn't send the proper things. And I was like this, I sent it this day at this time and just things that were like, uh. but anyways, they wrote back and were like, we don't want it anyways. And I was like, okay. Like I just felt um, like my integrity had been violated and my authenticity of who I am. Um, almost they were questioning that and it felt very uh, uncomfortable, <laughs> like just really uncomfortable. Cause I'm like that I high, I hold integrity very high of sticking to your word, being who you are online is offline. So when that happened, I like was, I was like in it and I was in the emotion. I was like, okay, like I don't want to work with them anyways, because if that's how they treat people, I don't want to be, I don't want them to be my agent. And it was able to, maybe things got um, misunderstood. So it's just changing the narrative around, we're not a good fit. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't that I wasn't called to not write. It wasn't that I was called to just give up or that I heard God wrong. It was simple a fact of being able to say, here's a situation at hand. Here's a reality. Maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I should have done this. And I can accept that and walk And Number two would be humility mm-hmm. of just knowing, okay, I don't need to get it right all the time. I'm not going to get it right all the time. Do I need to apologize? Do I need to do this differently? Um, and so when it comes with rejection and you thinking about all these no's is changing the narrative, walking humility with it out. What does that look like to walk in humility? And the other one is every time there's a rejection and a no, it's always an op- opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And therefore, okay. if something didn't go right, what could I have done better? You know, if I got a no, okay. If there was a no, could I have done something better? If not, that's okay. Cause sometimes you just can't, like you just did everything that you could do and it just wasn't a fit. Like I said, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think that changing the narrative, always looking at the opportunity to grow and to learn from their feedback or anything, which really requires the humility in the process. It does. It does. Well, and then I, something that I have learned so much about rejection is sometimes it is that growth is just preparing you for something way down the road that you cannot see right now. Particularly, we see that 
in the Bible. And so often, because we're reading it so quickly, we forget people like Moses. I mean, he was a shepherd for 40 years before God called him to do what he did. Um, David, he knew he was going to be king, but he was a child when that happened. So that was a lot of waiting. And he felt rejected a lot by his you know, siblings and all that. So if you read the narrative of some people that we say are really strong faith fathers, you see a lot of rejection and waiting, but it was really God preparing them for what was to come. Yeah. And I, I mean, the most important piece is every time we're in the, in the waiting, I think a lot of people think it's time to just sit back. Like we're going to wait for God to give us the promotion or we're going to wait. And I, I know he's called me to this promise, but we still have work in the promise. Like we still are called to show up. And I think that is what we see David. Like he still served the King. He played the harp. Right. He, he served his brothers. Like there was servanthood in the midst of the waiting. And even when Saul was after him, he mm-hmm. still wanted to serve him. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there is this heart posture that we need to get to in, in that process of waiting is even though I heard all no's with the book, a, the book proposal and the agents and everything that I did again, it doesn't mean it's a no from God. And I think that that's, what's important is that a rejection from humans, a no from humans does not mean a no or rejection from God. That's right. Sometimes it's just a wait or a redirection, um, which is so incredibly true. You know, you name those three things, and I know you work with women often. Do you do like a lot of coaching with them? Is that is that what your role is with them? Yeah, I do a lot of coaching because what I've learned is I'm I love seeing past what people are saying to me, mm-hmm. addressing more than, and I guess people would call it excuses but really getting to the root of what's really stopping them from getting fruit in their life, fruit Mm -hmm. of any kind and what's holding them back, what's hindering them to be able to move forward and propel forward. So coaching is a lot of what I do. I love coaching in small groups. Um, That way they get more personal time, one-on-one time, but it's just this ability to kind of get to the root to experience the fruit. Yeah. Well, and then in saying like, you know, we have these three things that we can really think about and ask ourselves, you know, humility. I mean, do we, like when you experience what we would say, you know, is rejection, um, are there just some questions that you sit down and say, okay, I need to ask myself these things. And you've kind of mentioned that a little bit, but the biggest thing is I just want people to understand that it's not a quick fix but it is something that you, if you can get in a routine of constantly evaluating these things, oftentimes you can shift your mindset. I think as, as much as you hold on to rejection, I feel like is the deepening of love that you understand from Christ, because the more that we understand that we don't get to hold offense you know, and a rejection can really feel like we start to have resentment or bitterness or something toward them. So I think the level at which you don't experience rejection is also the level that you deepen your relationship with God as far as love. I don't think it's a quick fix, but I don't think it has to become something that you meditate on. It becomes a part of you. And um, it's something that you can experience and process but without it being there over your head and just something that you constantly come back to. Yeah. So for me, the questions really come down to basically uh, you can ask yourself what's going on right now. 
I got this no, or I feel rejected and every, I, it's hard to, I want to address it as a whole, but every situation is different. Whether you're talking about rejection in relationship, whether you're talking about a no in business, like very specific situations are different, but you can just generally ask yourself what's going on right now. Both parties, you have to understand both sides. Where is each side coming from? Because the more you can take yourself out of it, meaning uh, your identity and worth, and you're able to look at it, I said this, this person said that, here's the reality of maybe what had happened, Mm -hmm. then you can start to formulate this kind of very subjective view of the situation to be able to learn and grow from. So being able to say, what's happening What's individual, what, what was going on with each individual, me or the person, and then understanding, well, what was the outcome from that? Was Mm -hmm. there an area for opportunity or growth? And then what can I do moving forward? Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Cause I mean, sometimes we do, we just attach our emotions to it so quick Mm -hmm. and that's when the bitterness, you know, if you hang on to it too long, the bitterness comes. Well, and that's something that, um, You know, if we think about how rejection oftentimes feels so personal, and like we said, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not personal and it can result in this bitterness or the opportunity to grow in a slow healing type of process. And so when you're talking to women and you're encouraging them to walk in this healing process, what do you talk to them about, you know, with slow growth? Everybody always uses the example of like, uh, the onion mm-hmm. is that the the more you're willing to confront, the more you're willing to heal. And it, it, sometimes it comes in layers and sometimes the pain is too much. So we don't really address it, but there's always these kind of um, small steps that we can take. We can understand our window of tolerance. When we start to get out of our window of tolerance, we can bring ourselves back with grounding and are asking ourselves questions. I love in Philippians one, nine through 10, when he talks about Paul is basically praying and he's saying that I pray that your love will abound in knowledge and discernment. And this, it's kind of this step that I just was like writing out in, in my journal where that when we accept Jesus, we inherit God's love in his kingdom. So that's the first step. So that through knowledge, we experience love, Mm. right? So the scripture goes on to say, so as we increase in love through knowledge, then that increased love leads to discernment of right and wrong. And then the love in you will cause you to walk without offense because his love abounds in you. And that in the scripture goes on to say that it's kind of this like list. So the more of love that you have, the the more knowledge you have of his love, the more you're just able to discern right and wrong, which causes you to not hold offense. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore that is like a main goal of one. We just all need to experience God's love at a level for ourselves of understanding what does his love look like in his word? What is his character and what is his nature? Mm-hmm. Because then I can take that into my situations and go, okay, this is what's happening. Here's the situation. Here are the individual pieces and people and things that are going on. And then here's what I can do with it. Yeah. Here's the, this opportunity to grow. And really just walking away from that, that temptation of having a like victim mentality. Yeah. Um, is so true or remembering like, you know, God actually loves all people. And so we do have to have a certain level of respect for someone else's journey. Who's maybe their onions a lot more layered than ours. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, as if you're a business owner or I mean, really in any piece of your life, it's kind of this idea of ownership 
you can take ownership of your situation, your feelings and what Mm -hmm. you have done or your actions. And I think that kind of lacks sometimes in the body is taking responsibility for what has been going on in our lives versus she did this and she did that. And I didn't get to do what I'm supposed to do because she got it or whatever it is. I don't have the resources like she does. And it can go on and on, but until we literally take responsibility and ownership of what's going on in our lives versus blaming our parents, you know, if we're 45 and blaming our parents still for, you know, how we live our life, we need to take ownership for that. It's not to say the pain like that ownership right. involves healing. Yes. Let me be clear. But I was, when I was 25, 26, I was blaming my parents for the way that I was living. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't have to live in this generational curse. I don't have to live just because everybody else had this sickness. I don't have to claim that sickness Mm -hmm. just because everybody else did. And so there's this ownership that I get to partake in with the Lord in my own life to say responsibility. I don't need to blame it because the more we blame, the more we continue to shame ourselves Mm -hmm. and other people. Yeah. Sure. Because I think when you, when it comes to like generational sin, the reality is none of us come from a perfect family and some families are, the woundedness is much, much greater. And I don't want to act like that doesn't exist, Yeah, but it's really impossible to begin healing from it. If you cannot cut off the blaming and instead just say, you know what? Mom did this, dad did this, uncle did this, aunt, cousin, whoever it was. It happened. What do I need to do to heal from it? Because sometimes what happened is how we, we attach our worth and our identity to that. Mm -hmm. So we want to find freedom from that, but continuing to blame and shame doesn't help. Yeah. And I mean, when I started taking responsibility, I was able to then look at what I was doing. It was no longer about what so-and-so was doing. It was, I'm a messy person. <laughs> like yeah, I don't get are. it. I don't get it right. And that was just like a part of me and just had to be humble mm-hmm. of I hurt people too. Mm-hmm. When people hurt me, I can recognize that I have hurt people in my past and mm-hmm. I will hurt them like different people again. I they'll catch me on a bad day, right? Like they'll just catch me when something's not right. It doesn't make it right that I do that. Yeah. But again, it's this ability to turn inward yeah. without holding it and feeling, um, shame or guilt or anything for it, but just saying like, no, like I can choose a different way, a different path because of what God has done because he sent his son for me. Yeah. And I do want to really clarify too. We're not talking about like, you need to take responsibility when you've experienced sexual abuse or physical abuse. I mean, and I know that's not what you mean. Yeah. I always just want to put that in there because I mean, there's no reason why that should happen to you. There's no responsibility you need to take. But now if you're still wounded from it, the responsibility you need to take may be go to the counselor, begin to unpack that, let those wounds fester again so that you can deal with them and they can heal from the inside out. Um, those kinds of things. And I know that's what you're talking about too. Yeah. No, I, and I usually try to preface that too. It, and I always say, you're not taking responsibility for other people's actions. That's right. You're just taking responsibility for what your word, the words that you're coming out of your mouth, uh, how you handle the situation, because that's what you're in control of. You can, can, you can 
respond and react very differently than somebody else in the same mm -hmm. situation. So that's when I say, when I say take responsibility, you're not taking responsibility and starting to harbor everything that somebody did. You're not like, I'm going to carry my mom's and I'm going to carry this abusers. No, that's, you're not taking responsibility for them. You're taking responsibility for you and how you move forward in healing and processing and not pointing the finger. Yeah. Well, what are some ways that you feel you have experienced growth as a result of some rejections you've faced in any, I mean, maybe choose a couple of areas because I know that you've business, you told us a little bit about that rejection of the proposal. Is there anything else? You know, if, even if I look at it as rejection from the proposal or people, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about saying getting no's uh, from different people for me, it always comes like lately it just comes down to this idea that I know the promises that God has had for me and what he's said in his word about providing him being the owner, me just being the one that lays the seed, that plants it, that tills the ground. So regardless of the outcome that I see right now, I've been holding on to the promises of, you know, I do not labor in vain in the Lord. Right. So knowing those promises I feel like always helps you stay rooted regardless of the outcome. So if I felt rejected in a relationship, whether it was a friendship or anything like that, one of my first one things is always to communicate. I used to hate confrontation, but now when something comes up, I'm like, let's nip it in the butt. Can we talk yeah. about this? What's going on? Because the more the enemy can wedge his way in there, the more he can dominate, the more he can separate for me now that whenever something comes up and I start to feel uneasy, I just remember the promises and the reality that if something happens here, I'm still going to be taken care of here, right? Like it's just this reality of, and I don't always trust me. I'm not sitting here and saying like, I got this nailed in and down, right? but I'm always trying to put it into practice, whether it's relationships, business, and just that, that goes back to that humility of being willing to say, sorry, when I was lashing out on my husband yesterday, so randomly, I don't even know why. I mean, I think it was because I was dealing with some hard things about work and he's like, why are you stopping me? And I was like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. I had no idea I was really doing it, but it's just idea of just going always back to, I'm sorry, place of humility and this opportunity to grow. So mm -hmm. as I'm growing and getting those, I'm actually spiritually maturing, which would really be the outcome. Yeah. Well, and then I often think too, of how we want the growth to be that we go from the seed under the soil to the full-blown plant, right? Yeah. But, I mean, growth really is slow. So it doesn't mean that, you know, Jessica gets the no and she wakes up tomorrow and now she's never going to do anything, you know, negative, bad, sinful again. Yeah. But it's like there are so many ways we grow and change. If we just slow down and pay attention, you'll be like, oh, I did deal with that differently this time. Yeah. Maybe it took you, you know, a day before you blew up on somebody. <laughs> and so yeah. you know, I just share that sometimes because we can beat ourselves up so much about like, I haven't changed a bit. But, you know, you are taking power away from the spirit of God when you say that. Because if you really slow down and watch, you'll see you're, you're, you're probably changing a lot more than you think. Mm. Yeah. Lately, I even just the past two years, I remember saying to one of my friends, like, I just feel like my business hasn't grown. Mm. She's like, yeah, but look at how you've grown. Oh, yeah. You know? And so it was this kind of this reminder of even though it's it's not where we think it should be or whatever we think it should be or look like, 
it was kind of like, oh yeah, I used to even say that. Like even when I wrote my book, um, my fourth book at the end of 2019 in the third quarter, coming back to it now and to finish it up, I'm like, I've grown it in six months, you know, like just because you're always learning these new things and, and that's just reality too of how you respond, how you react. Yes. You'll see these in little just little things um, in your life, whether it's through your relationship with food or working out, like the more his love abounds in you, the more those areas start to just to grow and to mature. Right. Yeah. Seek the Lord. I mean, always I'm like, okay, Lord, I need to come back to seeking you. Come back. <laughs> it's always that centering of, okay, seek you. That's where the growth happens. So, well, thank you for sharing that. I like to close up our episodes um, with a couple of questions. And so hopefully, you know, it'll be a new um, experience you'll be able to share with us. But so often we, I mean, we cling to the grace of God every day. But there are seasons in our life where we really feel like we cannot do anything else but cling to that grace on a daily basis. And so is there anything that has happened in your life where you can say, I mean, wow, like it was a daily effort to really cling to his grace? Yeah, I would say during my physical healing journey, um, I went through a lot of emotional healing, but then when my physical healing came, it was this idea that like the enemy just wanted to take me out in my body over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I just had to keep reminding myself of the truth and speaking the word over me. Cause I had been taught that, you know, God wants you sick to teach you a lesson or he's giving sickness and that kept me sick. <laughs> so oh, wow, I had to fight that for, I mean, I fought through it for two years, but standing on it when another symptom came that was hard. And that was something I was like, no, I need, you know, to write it out. I need to journal this. I need to do whatever I can to just stay right here, to stay mm -hmm. on this truth. So that was definitely an area of my life. Wow. Well, I know you don't have kids of your own. So I'll ask you this question, just, you know, maybe you'll have nieces or nephews, or I don't know, maybe you will have kids one day. If you had the opportunity in the future, way down the line to sit down with, let's say great grandchildren, great nieces, um, best friends, kids, is there some wisdom you would like to share with them? I don't know why this keeps coming up to me, but it's this whole idea that nothing is ever as big as it seems. You know, I always say fear creates alternate realities that don't exist. And I think that a lot of times I'm always, we're, we're worrying about our bodies, the way it looks. Right. And then at the end of our life, are we really, we're going to be like, man, why did I worry so much about what my body looked like? You know, <laughs> it's just idea that not everything is, is, is a big deal as it appears. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that just knowing those simple truth, like that simple truth of this fight that you're in or going through high school. Yes. It's a big experience, but it's such a little piece, you know, and going to college and everything are these little pieces together, but when things happen, they're not as big as they appear or, or seem, but the fear will come in and create these realities that make it seem bigger. That's so good. It reminds me of Bob Goff and in his, one of his books, he says, you know, try to keep that 10 year vision. So wherever you are right now, if you look and you say 10 years from now, what do I want that to look like? Um, you know, he's like, that really puts things in perspective. And he was at that time particularly talking about, and I've done it with my husband, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to have a 20 year old son. What does that look like? Because right now we can invest in them, but, and I've said that to my kids too, like there's this, this one little thing, you know, this math problem, 10 years from now, you're going to have a job. Yep. <laughs> yep. And whether you can divide fractions 
but let's just keep trying, but let's not have a complete emotional breakdown. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> totally get it. Right. It, it just, not it, as big, it, it's not as big as it seems. <laughs> that's right. I promise you're not going to fail fourth grade. I know that it yeah. feels like it right now in this moment, but 10 years from now, you're going to have a job. You're going to be 20 years old in college, probably, you know, so yeah. it is perspective. Well, Jessica, tell everybody where we can find you, where you would want people to connect with you. Uh, Instagram. I love hanging out on Instagram, Jessica Hoddle. Uh, also on my podcast, What's the Truth? I release a lie every Wednesday. Uh, so you can find that on any platform we're listening, probably right now, wherever you are listening to this podcast, so you can find What's the Truth and just search for that. But I'm pretty much Jessica Hoddle everywhere. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today. I'm really grateful. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.